2022. Good evening. We're continuing the series of uh, Path to the Just. We're getting slowly, slowly close to the end of it. There's altogether 26 chapters. We're in the middle of the 22nd chapter. And uh, we is speaking about being humble. Uh, a person who's down to earth. This is basically what the Ramchal is speaking about in chapter 22. Uh, they, I believe that this is uh, the last series that I make because it's a long commitment to come for so many lectures. We have about 20 lectures so far. We're probably going to have another one or two about it. It's very difficult to commit to all these long series. So it's probably the last one I make. Uh, as you know, it's not a secret. I've been thinking about uh, basically retiring from giving lectures. And... Uh, I don't want to commit to something that it's long. Maybe one, here and there I'm going to still do some lectures, but uh, in New York, I, I rather take the, the time to go on a trips. So I go to different places, places that hardly have lectures. Maybe that's what I should focus on. So, okay, so now, uh, also one more thing we said in the website, uh, a shopping cart that people can order CDs and distribute them. And uh, it's been very slow. The last month, there's hardly anyone donates for CDs. Very difficult. You don't have CDs, people don't become religious. It's an obligation to every Jew. You know, you cannot, uh, you cannot survive with a few donations of uh, 30 or 50 or $100. Very difficult because it's fly like this. Every lecture that you go on, you have to give hundreds of lectures. It's not enough. So. If people uh, can use their master money to support the CDs, these CDs literally save lives. People listen to it. After a few hours that they're into the MP3, it's 25 hours of Torah in each one. We know we give it for a cost price of $1 each. Couldn't, couldn't beat that. And people are into it, and they listen to it every day. And they become Shomer Shabbat, and they become, you save them. That's it. You save the family. So this is a great investment, as we said many times in the past. Okay, so we are now, we finished in, uh, in, the, in the words of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, which was the president of Israel in the time of the destruction of the second temple when the Romans destroyed the temple. And this has come from Pirkei Avot, chapter 2. And this is what it says. If you learn a lot of Torah... Don't hold any merit to yourself. Some people think, oh, I learn a lot of Torah every day. I deserve. Uh, Hashem owes me. You know, I'm, I'm special. I learn more than everyone I know. Things like this. Don't feel so great. You're only fulfilling your obligation. If you come to work in a grocery and you get paid $10 an hour and you put the grocery in a bag, you, you know, you, you don't feel that uh, you're doing anything special, that this was you were hired for. You want to get paid, you have to do the job. You do the job, it's your obligation. What do you want to get paid for? You want to get paid for doing nothing? So n nobody thinks, oh, you know, they owe me so much just because I do my job. So you do your job, you're lucky. You don't do your job, you, it's like a thief. You get paid, you're not doing the job. So you were created for that. If a person is wealthy, he should be happy with what he has. People that are suffering from poverty, most of the time, almost always, is not because they don't really have what they need. It's because they are missing what they don't have. And that's already a bad habit. If a person eyes is what other people have, 
he will never be satisfied. No matter how much he has, he's always going to look up to what this person has and the other one, and this one bought a house, and this one bought a car. So he will always feel missing. So poverty is really how much you're missing. Make sure you don't miss anything. You'll be satisfied with what Hashem gave you, and you never feel poor. So that's poverty. And uh, wealth is whatever you have, you're very satisfied with what you have. You have it, fine. You don't have it, you're very happy. So if your person is, is, is wealthy, and uh, obviously, you know, he's supposed to... He's supposed to help others and to share what Hashem gave him with others, not to keep everything for himself. This is, this is a part of the wealth that a person has, is Hashem gave him to give to others, to help the miserable and to save the poor ones. And this is where we ended up last week. Today we continue. The Gemara in Masechet Sota, page 5, the Gemara say, How great are people who are down to earth. It's not just another good habit. This is a very important thing. In a time, you know, when the, when the temple were there in Yerushalayim, the holy temple, a person used to sacrifice korban ola, sacrifice of ola. He gets a reward of, of sacrifice of ola. If korban mincha, sacrifice of mincha, he gets the reward of, of korban mincha. If a person is down to earth, not sacrificing anything, just down to earth, Hashem say, for me it's count like he sacrificed all the different kinds of sacrifices. Person bother, go get a goat, brings it, slaughter it, this, that, burning it on the altar, cleaning it, all these things that a person does, one sacrifice, one. A person is down to earth, Count like he sacrificed every possible sacrifice in Bet Hamikdash. Couldn't be better than that. Could it be better? So this is what the, uh, it says in Tehillim, in Psalms 51, verse 19. The sacrifice to Hashem, really, the real sacrifice to Hashem is to be down to earth, to put your ego down. Ego, it's a source of many other problems. Anger comes from ego. Lack of patience comes from ego. You know, fighting, arguing, all kinds of things. Lashonara, it's all ego. If you really look at the source, it's pride. Pride brings a person to do a lot of horrible things. So, a broken heart, a person is down to earth, it's a sacrifice to Hashem. It's, a, it's praising the humble people, that they are humble in their mouth, in their heart, and in their thoughts. Also, the Gemara in Chulin says, uh, uh, in page 89, the Gemara says, I love you, the Jewish nation, not because you're the largest nation. The opposite. You're less than all of them, the entire world. That's why you're precious. Something precious, it's very hard to get. You don't find diamonds on a street like sand. If diamonds would be like sand, it would work like sand. There's a very little diamonds, very little gold. That's why they're very precious. This is only 13.2 million Jews in the whole world. In a, in a world of 7 billion, everyone is a jewel, especially the ones who listen to Hashem. <laughs> they are the most important. There's one or two million people in the world that basically are the, the heart of the world. 
We have the merit to be a part of this small group, the extra VIP, and we won't be dancing on the street. A person that is keeping Shabbat, you know how many goyim beg me to explain to them how to keep Shabbat, just for common sense? That if Hashem said to the Jews that this is a covenant, they also want to share in it? Goyim. In countries you never believe, like candles on Shabbat. It's hard for me to understand what's going on in this world. I have a goy. I have to read you his email, believe me. I mean, I don't want to waste time searching for it. He sends me about six, seven emails every day. He's in college, he's 26 years old, still live by his parents. He listens to 13 hours a day of my lectures every day. 13 hours a day. He wants to quit out of college. Yesterday I had to convince him to stay in college, to get a job and to continue, because he said, well, I feel I'm wasting my time. I go to college. He doesn't feel belong a, 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 upon this goyim around him. He already, this goy sanctify himself so much. He goes to college, he suffers there. Yeah, you understand what's happening here? So this is the power of the Torah. The person really begins, when a person became diamond, doesn't feel comfortable being with sand. And you were sand, you sand. I became diamond, you have to, you have to understand your, your value. So it says, Hashem said to the Jews, I love you, I desire you, because the more I give you, the more humble you stay. And the greatest leaders in Jewish history were very humble. Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Moshe, they were very down to earth, King David. Natati Avraham, I made Abraham the most important person in the world. He says, I'm sand on the ground. That's how he felt himself. I gave glory to Moshe and Aaron, to Moses and Aaron. What did they say? We are what? We are nothing. I gave uh, 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 glory to King David, and he said, I'm a worm. I'm a worm on the floor. And these people felt like that. You understand why? They never let their evil inclination ever fool them to think that they are something important. The more loser a person is in this generation, the more he prays himself and brag for nothing. He has no talent, no nothing, but he thinks he's somebody important. But the people who were really important, they felt themselves like nothing, dust in the wind. And if a person achieves a lot of mitzvot, he does a lot of good deeds, he still has to always realize, I'm still far away from being perfect. So much to complete. So what's the point of bragging? What? A person that has to walk 10 hours and he walked two minutes and he already prays himself for walking two minutes? Finish the job first, then you think about being uh, proud. And a person always would look at himself, will see he has so many problems, so many disadvantages. First, he was born to uh, two people. Then he has all these desires. And then everything he finally achieved, he should always remember that Hashem was kind and helped him to achieve it. It's not, he didn't achieve it by himself. Yeah, he made the right cho choices, but without Hashem's help, he will never achieve anything. So therefore, he always has to surrender in front of his Creator and, ad and admire him and thank him for everything he helped him to achieve. What is it like? Like a poor person who knock on a door and beg for charity and they finally give it to him. Wouldn't he be embarrassed? If a poor person finally got something to eat or a piece of you know, money, 
Well, as soon as you hand him the money, he feels so embarrassed. Why is he embarrassed? Because you know, you gave it to him for free. You don't owe him anything. You did him a favor. He's embarrassed. If he worked for you, he's not embarrassed. If he clean, he did your garden, he come, okay, sir, I finished. Give him the money, he's not ashamed. He works for it. But if you give him a gift, he's ashamed. We know everything we have came from Hashem as a gift. How would we? We should be ashamed to think that uh, we deserve it. We, you know. So, it says, the, uh, King David say, What would I return to Hashem? Do I have anything to return to him for what he does for me? I owe him so much. Everything he gave me good. What can I give him back in return? Nothing. And we saw great righteous people that got punished for moments of pride that they had in their life. Even though they were very righteous people, but they had moments that they felt great about themselves. Like Nehemiah ben Chachalia, as a big Chacham, big Tzadik, Chazal Saint Sanhedrin, uh, page 93. Why the book of Nehemiah ben Chachalia does not call Nehemiah? The other books call on Yeshaya, Yirmiya, based on the, who say what they said. But his book doesn't call after him. Because he took the credit for himself. And Hizkia says, Right? Why I'm saving the city thanks to King David. Not thanks to you. Because Hashem told him, Veganoti alayir azot lorshia, lemani uleman David avdi. Hashem said to him, I'm saving the city, not for you, for, for David, for King David. Everyone who likes to take credit for himself. You know this kind of people, there's a word in Hebrew, bishuti. Bishuti means thanks to me. Everything is thanks to him. Thanks to me, thanks to me, thanks to me, thanks to me. <laughs> you, know, you know how it is. Uh, sometimes you hear people that come and tell you, oh, I heard this guy help you this, this guy did this for you, this guy, and none of it is true. But people like to talk to feel important, you know. So uh, people take credit for something they have nothing to do with that. So if you really did it, and it's really your merit, but you still take credit for it, you brag, in the end, this mitzvah will be named after someone else, not after you, because you take credit for it. A person should not claim credit even for something he did. To say, don't worry, Hashem knows he did it. What do you have to brag? You know, like I once told the story, there's in one of the yeshivot here, for 20 years, someone is bringing sugar every day. And nobody knew who donates the sugar for 20 years. Not only he doesn't claim credit, he makes sure nobody sees, he comes like a thief, and he puts the sugar and disappears. 20 years they have sugar in a, in a kitchen for coffee until somebody caught him. Today, person brings one time in his life sugar, it's not going to come in before everyone sees him. Well, I'm going to come 6 o'clock in the morning, I'll put it after the prayer, when there's a lot of people in the shul. Well, it's now me and another person, nobody would know I, I donated. They finally donate a lamp, a chandelier to the shul, they make sure to put a sign. $50 lamp, and he pay $50 for the sign. 
but people would know he donated. The Zohar say you lose all your mitzvah, all your reward, if they write that it's your donation. I'm telling you what the Kabbalah say. People, people, people respect you for that. People respect you. When people hold you as one of the person who donates to the shul, they treat you better, they respect you. One day they marry their children to your children thinking you're an important person since you donate to the shul. So you already cash on your, on your mitzvah in this world. So when you come to Hashem, you say, Hashem, I donated the shul. So yeah, you got three good uh, uh, daughter-in-laws. So what's the connection? What do you think people ran after you to marry your children with them? They saw how much you donate to the shul. Everywhere they saw your sign. So they ran after you. So you got your credit, you, you cashed on it. So a person will be very disappointed. He's expecting an eternal reward, and then he cashed it on something temporary. Right? So it's better not to, not to write on CDs that it's your donation, not to write in the books that it's your donation, definitely not in a shul. Hashem knows who donated. Why do you worry so much? Hashem doesn't know who donated the sidurim. You can, all you have to do is say in your mouth, I donated for the memory of my father. I donated for the memory of my mother. I donated for the health of this person. That's all. It's right away registered in the book of Hashem. He doesn't need you to remind him every day. Hashem, don't forget, I donated Sidurim 50 years ago to the shul. Remember? People who think that by not writing it, Hashem won't know it's them, they're kind of kofrim. They don't have a munah. Doesn't it give encouragement to other people if they see my friend gave the No, you can say. Everyone in Shul knows that the books did not arrive there just by the wind. If I see if a thousand books here, I already know people donated. Right? I don't, uh, I don't expect that they came in the middle of the night, the books left the bookstore and started to march into the Shul and got on the shelves and stand here. Somebody paid for it. Someone paid for the building. Someone paid for the chandelier. Someone paid for everything here. So people already know the shuls do not be built by the air. Someone responsible for that. You don't have to remind them. You can encourage them by saying the shul needs help, the shul needs this. But that's it. Then it says like this. Uh, someone who even does better, not only not to claim credit, is even allowed to lie if they ask him, are you the one who donated? He's allowed to say, no, it wasn't me. For a few reasons. One, he doesn't want pride. He doesn't want respect. Second, he doesn't want Ainara. There's also evil eye here. person donated a lot, people put their eye on him. Oh, this guy makes a lot of money. You understand? So if you ask him, do you the one who donated? No, it wasn't me. You know? So it says like this. No matter what level of wisdom a person reached, which you deserve a lot of reward for it, for working very hard to be a Talmud Chacham, it's still zero. You learn seven years non-stop, how much Torah you know, zero percent. Remember that for the rest of your life. If a person asks you, okay, you're learning seven years Torah, after seven years from zero to 100 percent, where would you rate yourself, Rabbi? 15, 40? 80, 99, what's the answer always going to be? Zero. Why? Compared to the size of the Torah, you see that it's zero. You didn't even get to 1%. So what are you breaking about? 
someone knows 0.0001% or 0.0002%, it's already a huge difference. When you ask a person, how much Torah you know, 0.0002%, wow, what an embarrassment. That's already a lot, what do you think? So much to know. Know how many books you have? Tens of thousands of books, series of books. Each one can take you years to learn. You need to, to live thousands of years to be able to get to 1%. A nice you can do a nice amount, but compared to what? A nice amount is always in, in, in relative to what? Nice amount. A hundred dollar is a wealthy person. Then depend who you're comparing him to. Comparing it to the children in the neighborhood, yeah, they don't have five dollars. Comparing to someone who works and make a living, it's a poor person. Someone who has a million dollars is wealthy. The pen compared to who? Huh? You know, there are people who waste it every month for maintenance on their homes. So it's really the pen. So it's, it's yeah, a car. You say, oh, what a car he has. Compared to who? Yes, compared to your car, yes, but compared to the other one, it's nothing. Like I say, feel good is one thing than to brag about it. We are now talking about not to brag. Ramchal, which was a huge chacham, huge. He said, all of our wisdom, that's 250 years ago, today there's nothing to talk about. All of our wisdom is zero. Ke'ayin, ayin means nothing. So they don't brag. There's nothing to brag about. Because a person that is greater in knowledge is still not the dirt of the shoe of someone who lived a thousand years ago. Take the, the biggest rabbi in the world today. If he would stand five minutes next to Rashi or Rambam, he would cover himself under the Persian rug for a month, not to show his face. Rabbi, why are you hiding under the rug? I saw Rashi here, I'm so embarrassed. I'm like a monkey compared to him. You, Rabbi, you're like a monkey? I would give my life to know 1% of what you know. So he would tell you the same thing, I'll give my life to know 1% of what Rashi knows. No, who was Rashi? Not one book in Judaism he did not translate. It's like an ocean of knowledge. I always wonder how these people achieved it in one lifetime. In hundreds of lifetimes to know. Today you need to live hundreds of lifetimes to know what Rashi knew. Hundreds. Not one or two or five. I don't know how they did Without a special blessing from Hashem, there's really no way to reach such level. And how do you know Rashi knew the entire Torah? Everything. How do you know? Because yeah, you can count on one or two hands how many times he writes, and this one I do not know what it means. That means everything else he knew. That's how you know. If you never saw Rashi writes, I don't know, then you know, ah, it's probably, when he, when he didn't know, it's like us. We made up something. You know how people are? Yeah, let's say something that sounds logical. Shem irachem. But when he didn't know, he wrote, and this one I do not know. I don't, I'm not sure what it means. So how many times in the whole Talmud it can count? I don't know, five, 10, 20, I don't know exactly, but very little. It's very rare that it happens. It means everything else he knew. Everything else, everything else. How long did you know? Not a lot, 70, 80 years, that's it. That's it. So 
So he says like this, the Ramchal says, we are not deserved to be a student of a student of previous generations. And we say the same thing about him. We don't deserve to be a student of a student compared to the Ramchal. But he already felt that he, in his generation they don't deserve to even be a student of a student. You know what it means, a student of a student? It's already big difference in the level. So we should never feel great for nothing. We have to recognize that our wisdom level is very weak. Our brain is very, very low. The brain, the ability of our brain is very low. And this is, I remind you for the third time, this was in a generation that will die to be in their level. You know who these people were 250 years ago? Remember, there's no nonsense in their life. It was only Torah and Torah and Torah. No newspapers, no Facebook, no that, no toys, this, iPhone, that, everyday new toy, sports, vacation, trips. None of that they had in their life. No electric, no clothing, suits, fashion show, let's, let's buy, let's match, wedding, $50,000 flower. They didn't have this nonsense in their life. What did they have? Eat a little bit to, live, to survive and learn all day, that's all. And how many years he lived? 39 years old, he passed away. That's it. And almost 100 books, yeah. And he say, our brain is very weak. <laughs> so this is just to give us an idea who was Moshe Rabbeinu. Think about it. If you read Ramchal, you are shocked for the level. And he say, I don't even deserve to be a student of a student of Rashi, let's say. And Rashi will tell you the same thing about the names of the Gemara, the Amoraim. And they, they laugh when you compare them to someone like Moshe Rabbeinu. So imagine who was Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu would be one minute here on the street. The whole, the whole world will probably collapse from panicking. When the people see who he is, they think God came. They won't recognize, they won't believe there could be a person like this. He lived in our generation. When Moshe came from Mount Sinai, nobody could look in his face. His face was glory like, like shining diamonds. Karnu or Panav, nobody could look in his face, the Torah say. I had to put like a special, uh, like a cover, like a screen, that people can look at him from the holiness. So it says like this. Let's talk a little bit about actions. How, how a person is really humble. Just to talk about it is one thing. How really it can be humble. You can divide it to four categories. A person is behaving humble, is tolerating abuse and insults, hating a position and honor. Not only is not after titles or special alphabets or special degree, whatever, he's running away from all this special titles and jobs and whatever, and is giving respect to every person, whether he's important, is less important, rich, poor. There are four different ways to, to, that indicates if you're a really humble person or not. First, when a person is down to earth, you recognize it right away by the way he talks. You don't need a lot. One or two minutes you hear a person how he talks, you know if he's a proud person, proud and arrogant, humbled and down to earth. You see right away, you don't need to be a genius. So that's one thing. Second, the way he walk. 
the proud people, like this, they have a way to walk. Everyone would notice them. The, the humble people, they, you know, they look like insecure. Hopefully nobody looks at me. See right away the mentality. And the way he sits. You saw how the proud people sit? With their legs, this, legs on the table. Their belly sticks out like this on a comfortable chair. They always would choose the most comfortable chair in a room. They won't sit in an ordinary chair. So every move he makes, you can see if he's arrogant, if he's proud, or if he's humble by his moves. By the way he talks, always talk nice to every person, the servants, the maids, everything. You know, as I was speaking about the maids, something very interesting happened. There's a maid that works in a Jewish family in Muncie, and the woman was supposed to give her $60 for a few hours that she cleaned the house. By mistake, instead of giving her three, three $20 bills, she gave her 20 20 and 100 by mistake. The next day, the maid put it in her pocket. She doesn't count in front of the, the owner of the house. But when she went, I guess, to her car later, she found out that she gave her more money. So it was $80 more. So the next day, she passed by to return the $80. So the woman, the religious Jewish woman, told the Spanish Goya, very nice, I'm very impressed by you. So the Goya said, oh, what's the, what, did I have an option? Dios, God is watching, what? And guess what happened? This Goya, she was late on her period for three weeks. How many women you know that the period is delayed by three weeks and they're not pregnant? So she needed to go to do a test and she doesn't have health insurance. They're illegal in this country. So the, the place where she has to go and do the test wanted to charge her $80. So after she returned the $80, half an hour later, she got her period when she was on the way to the doctor's appointment. So she saved the $80. So she called the Jewish woman. She told her, you know what happened now? They look at that as Ashgaha, the goyim. She told her I was about to go pay $80. Another half an hour, I'll be by the doctor paying $80, and I do the test. And now I get my period, I, I burn $80. So she said, Dios, send me my period an hour earlier, because I returned the $80. There's no doubt that that's, the, that's what happened here. No doubt. But you see, if she sees it, oi, oi to the Jews who don't see it. She sees it, Bouchard, for the Jews who think it's coincidence. Interesting. Then it says, a person should always be comfortable with everyone. Always nice, never to pressure them, never to disrespect them, never to raise your voice, never to speak to them like you the boss. Always in a nice, respectable way. If they need mercy, compassion, that's the way it is. When you teach, you have to be down to earth, speak respectfully to every person. You need a lot of patience because the world is full of foolish people. There's nothing you can do about it. If you don't have patience, you cannot teach. You have patience, you can teach. You don't have patience, first work on your character. Once you have patience, you can teach. You don't have patience, you better not teach because you're making sins every day. Disrespecting people. Who? How many times you ask this question? I answered that already. What's going on with you? Things like this is not the right way, okay? So you need a lot of patience. And even if you heard this question a thousand times, every time you have to behave like it's the first time you heard it. 
because this person doesn't know you already heard that question a thousand times in different places. For him, it's the most important question in, in the world. He feels great about this question. So it's always good to tell him great question, even if it's foolish question. If it's really, really foolish, better not to say anything. <laughs> but if it's a little bit foolish, you can say to him, it's a good question. Let him feel good, why not? Why not to make people happy if it doesn't, especially it doesn't cost you anything? This is how you build respect and trust. So you speak respectfully. Never put people down. Never make them names. Titles, bad titles. Baz chasar lev, King Solomon wrote. You disrespect people, that shows you don't have a heart. Psh, believe it or not. Chasar lev does not have a heart. Why? He puts people down. Bevor Wicked person comes to the room, disrespect comes with him. Booze. Right? Who deserves to assure to the world to come? The Gemara asks in Masechet Sanhedrin. Down to earth and humble. Never walk proud like this. Never walk slow with the hands behind his things, supervising the area, examining everything, you know, like the boss comes, like this, walking around. Everyone knows who is the, the boss over here. What else? Prophet Ishayahu, Isaiah 10, chapter 10, verse 33. What does it say? Those who consider themselves above the average level of the community. What's going to be their end? You are above everyone. There's a knife who comes and chopped everyone. You want to be high? No problem. Remember, there's a knife who comes every once in a while and cut everyone who goes higher. It's an expression, of course. So it's better to be down than to be up. King Solomon in Mishlei 25, verse 6. Al ta'amod. When you're in front of the king, don't feel anything special. And in a place where people are greater than you, don't climb there and sit among them. You don't belong there. Go down to where you belong. You understand the point? Sometimes people come <laughs> and they see all the important people in a place. They also want to be there. They begin with the politics. Ah, this, that. Oh, in the end, he makes it there. What usually the end of these people? One day, Hashem cannot stand their pride and he embarrasses them in front of everyone. Something embarrassing happens that everyone knows he doesn't belong there. The Gemara says in Masechet Baba Metziah, page eighty-five, Every knowledgeable scholar that learns Torah all his life and knows a lot of Torah and he puts himself, consider himself nothing doesn't show off from his knowledge. He is the greatest and the biggest in the next world. But over there, it's for eternity. It's better to be humble 30, 40, 60 years here and then be on the top of the pyramid for eternity. No? Don't you think? And the Gemara also in Masechet Sota, page 5, A person should learn from, the, from, from God's operation, the way he operates, the way he thinks. 
When Hashem left all the, all the mountains of, of the desert and chose the smallest mountain to give the Torah on it, Mount Sinai. Why didn't take the biggest mountain? Everyone will look up. Wow, what a big... Took the lowest mountain. Mount Sinai, the lowest one. Why? Humbled. The second part of being humbled is tolerating the insult. People disrespect you, saying bad things to you, insulting you in front of people. Not answering is one level. You have what to answer and you don't answer, it's a greater level. Don't take revenge. Don't get angry. Some people get to a level, not only they don't retaliate, they don't even get upset. That's already a very high level. Most people, if they worked on their character, so their heart is burning, and they are fuming, and they have heartache, but they don't answer. That's a very high level. But some people already reached to a level that didn't even bother them. I once read that Rambam once on a boat, and one goy came and made his bathroom in his face. He was laying there in a boat. You know, Jews, goyim, they, weeks, they're in a boat, in the middle of... So when he opened up, he's his, the most important person in the world, and one lousy person came and did what he did, and he did not retaliate. So he said at that moment he realized he moved to the next level. But he was able not to... Not to be upset, it's all from Hashem. How many people in the world you know wouldn't stab him to death? You know? In Israel, you take someone's parking, you can take a knife and kill you today. You know? You never know what's gonna happen for, for parking. So you do something like this to him, it'll kill you and your entire family. So, if a person doesn't get upset, I always tell people, when they call me and tell me that some low life insulted them and put them down and embarrassed them, so I asked them, let me ask you a question. What happens if a dog would insult you? You get upset? Say, no, I, I get upset from a dog, I'm crazy. I said, so if a person is in the level of a dog and he insults you, why you get upset? He's like a dog, man. He lives like a dog, he eats like a dog, he speaks like a dog, he behaves like a dog, he lives with his female like a dog. He's a dog, man. He dresses like a dog. So, pnei a dog, pnei a kelef. So why do you get upset? Ah, big rabbi insulted you. I understand why I get upset. Because already, oh, somebody who knows what's allowed, what's not allowed, you know, and he, and he told you that. It's not right. But I understand where you come from. And a dog insulted you. You should laugh. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> why are you getting burned? You shouldn't get burned. So there's nothing to get to, to your heart uh, hurts for nothing. Then it says, who does Hashem forgive first? People who tolerate insult and don't retaliate. You don't, take, you don't take revenge. Hashem doesn't take revenge against you. You forgive people easily. Hashem forgives you easily. You, you get insulted and not insult back. Hashem takes away what you deserve. You deserve to get a lot of insult for the way you behave. But Hashem wipe it out from your, from your uh, uh, resume, for your account. Why? Because when you hear people abusing you, you don't answer, then Hashem says, listen, he deserves, but he won't get it because he already got it and he did not retaliate. So this is all measure for measure. So it's very good. It's very good to forgive people. It's very good to inquire for peace. Even if you're right, if you're wrong, then you must do it. What's the question? 
you insulted someone, of course you have to seek for repentance and forgiveness. But when we're talking now when he's 100% guilty, and you come and compromise and, and go and offer him to make peace, whatever, that's a much greater level. Knowing that you are right, knowing that this person is arrogant and a loser, but you come and reach your arm to him to shake his hand and make peace. First of all, by the way, that's, by, that's one of the best cure for the proud people. That they are guilty and you are innocent and you run to them. It kills them from inside. Embarrassment. I know one, one person, he knows uh, one Rasha, big, wicked person. So one time he said to me, guess who I met on the plane? I said, who? He said, that, that person. We both know that he's a very big, wicked person. And I said, no, it was embarrassing. A plane is a narrow place. You meet your enemy, comes in a hole, in a, in a pad there. There's nowhere to run. He said, no, I ran to him. I said, how are you? <laughs> So you ran to him and say, yeah, what do you think is the biggest punishment for him? That I ran to him and say, how are you? I'm glad to see you. Knowing he doesn't stop speaking Lashonara about him, and you run and shake, he cannot look in your eyes. Believe me, try it once. You see, it's the biggest punishment. You run away from him or don't shake his hand, you give him more gasoline, you know, to continue. So, oh, see, I'm right. Look at him, look how he behaves. Then the third way to hate, to hate the titles. When people call you rabbi, every time they call you rabbi, you have to feel a pinch in your heart. They're calling me rabbi. That's how you have to feel. What? Start correcting 5,000 people a month, it's not realistic. But at least you feel like this in your heart, because don't worry, Hashem knows what you feel. Some people don't know two words to say, or to read even Bechlal, Hebrew, and they write themselves. The Rava Gaon, they, they print, they copy from the books. They copy from here, copy, paste, copy, paste, and they make an alone on Friday, and they give it in the shul. And the only, only reason they do it is because they run right in the title. Rava Gaon, ta 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 15 titles, and then all of, all of a sudden, after five years, everyone can't stand online. It's very good business. You know, you go like this with your beard, you know, and the jar is getting, starts with $100 bills, then it goes to large checks, and then funds and buildings. So the titles works. Don't worry, it's only work here. Later you sweat a lot to, to pay it back. <laughs> so bottom line, person should not get any titles, should not do anything from the outside that would bring him kavod. If he grows his beard, because people will give him more respect, because in the area over there, they go by the, uh, by the way you look, not by the way, how much you know. The, the opposite, don't grow a beard over there. Mm -hmm. It will bring you more kavod. If you wear a special uh, uh, outfit, like you're an important thing, better not to. If you have a special hat, and you put a regular hat, better to put regular hat. Why? Like this, you don't have the ego. What for? Then. It says like this, Shim Asbo, a person is tired of all this bragging and all these compliments. Sonet Rabbanut, he hates the title of a rabbi and he hates the kavod, the honor. He doesn't feel comfortable when people stand for him. He doesn't feel comfortable when they force him to sit on a stage or in an important chair when he comes to a shul. He doesn't feel comfortable when he gets any kind of honor. 
someone who is arrogant because he knows a lot of Torah, that's already a very bad, very bad level. Shoteh, that's a fool. That's not a smart person. It's a fool. Shoteh with tet. You know what shoteh? Shoteh with tet is the... Uh, I don't want to say what. Shoteh, rasha vegas ruach. A fool, a wicked, and arrogant. All three. Why? He breaks about his knowledge. Begmara in Eruvin say, page 13, Everyone who runs after honor, the honor will run away from him, always. One, you know the joke, one person came to the rabbi, rabbi, as already 20 years I'm running away from the honor, because it says if you run after the honor, the honor would run away from you. If you run away from the honor, the honor would chase you, to reach you. So it's better to run away from the honor, one day you'll get it, don't worry. So the person said, Rabbi, Rabbi, 20 years I'm running away from the honor. I don't see the honor is chasing me. So the rabbi said to you know why? Because you run 20 steps and you turn around, where are you, honor? <laughs> you run 20, where are you? 20 years, you're waiting for it. Don't wait for it. Run away means to run for real. You run for real, Hashem will send it to you anyway. Then... The Gemara says, Le'olam al asrara. Don't ever run after honor. That's King Solomon, Mishlei 25. Why? Because what's going to be? If a person enjoy from it, it's like a person who makes a sin with a woman and enjoy the sin. Enjoying the honor is just as bad. Just as bad. And obviously cannot be called holy. The students of Rabban Gamliel can prove that no matter how poor they were, they're very poor, they never agree to take a job. They wanted to give them a chief rabbi of the town, chief rabbi of the court, chief rabbi here, chief rabbi in a school. They didn't want. Why? Because it's a lot of honor. You make a living. You make a, a, a decent living. Well, what's, what's the problem eating normal bread and eating a piece of chicken for Shabbos? What, what, it's a sin? No. It wasn't about money. Because with the job, you get a lot of respect. They didn't want the respect. So they prefer to stay poor for the rest of their life just because it was too much honor. They didn't want. And the Gemara says, one time they offered them a job to be rabbis, and they didn't want. So the rabbi told them, you think I'm giving you honor? I'm giving you slavery. What does it mean to be a rabbi? To be a slave of the public, what? There's not one hour you have off from work. It's the only job you are at, on, on work 25 hours a day. Yes, no matter what, especially if you're international. If uh, people know you in America, in Israel, in Europe, there's not one hour you don't get emails and questions and people and calling and that, suggestion, advice, problem, marriage, shiduchim. You're, you're a servant of the public. If you have a heart, you cannot ignore people's uh, problems. Don't have a heart, he's like a doctor. Five o'clock, he closes his beeper, I'm off duty. Somebody else shift. But over here, there's no off. You're never off. Especially it's a job that they, nobody can replace you. Because if people come to you, they trust you to give them the right answer. Tell them, go to this rabbi, he will, he will, he will take care of you, they don't want. It's not like doctors. Each doctor can tell you you have flu. They don't need Dr. Moskowitz. Dr. Rosenberg also knows about flu. It's no problem. But when it comes to spirituality, it's not only about knowledge. Knowledge, many rabbis have more or less the same knowledge. It's about spiritual connection. 
a person trusts you, look up to you, he feels comfortable, open his heart to you, telling you his personal secrets, he's already got used to you, you know, is to start building his relationship with somebody new that replaces you, it's not realistic. You understand? So that's why you are servant of the public or every minute of your life. It never ends the job. 10 o'clock while you're eating, while every minute. Every minute. You're in a shower, you're already thinking, well, who knows how many emails waiting for me now. Yeah, 10 minutes, you come, you dress, already 13 emails. Quickly, question, yes, no. Uh, it's never end. So over here, it says, Rabbanut, being a rabbi is bearing you. It's not, what, you're looking for the honor? Ah, it's bearing you alive. The Gemara brings an example from Yosef, Yosef Atzadik, the son of Jacob. Because he was an important figure, he died younger than all his brothers. Short life, only 110 years old. And everyone lived longer than him. Why? Because of his position, he ended up losing from the years of his life. A person sits among his nation. Once he goes to a high level, Right? It's very difficult to speak to everyone in the same level. So the Gemara says, if a person gives bad advice, speaks disrespectfully to people, and is responsible for every one of them. Sometimes the pride and the respect makes a person forget what he's doing over there. Same thing politicians. When they join politics, they really had maybe good intentions to make a change. Once they got the Volvo and the driver in Israel and a very nice salary, and they stand in front of the microphone and they show them on television, slowly, slowly they forget what they came there for. And what happened? From that moment on, they think how much my belly can tolerate. How much more? Where, where? good food, vacations. You know, they made a survey in Israel. They're more overseas than in Israel, the member of the Knesset. They have like 20, 30 trips on the expense of the taxpayers. And they compare which member of the Knesset is more greedy, taking advantage more on public's money to go on vacations. And what do they do in overseas? Nothing. Just vacation. Well, do you think they come to work here? And they find a reason. Well, what did you do in the United States? Well, we came to promote a, a movement, an idea, fundraising for school. Stop. They make up. A, they they, they want to go now on vacation two weeks. So they find themselves a, a, a reason, you know? A person who likes party always finds a reason for party. Birthday party, anniversary, Mother's Day. <laughs> People told me, well, you don't celebrate Mother's Day, Sunday? I say, a Jewish person, a Jewish kid, every day must be a Mother's Day. <laughs> so, oi, Vave, only one day a year you have to respect your mother respectfully. Every minute of your life is Mother Day. Well, what, today your mother deserves more respect than yesterday? Well, if they want you to celebrate it anyway. If the mother receives 365 days treatments of Mother's Day, believe me, she won't want a specific Mother Day. You understand? If a, if a husband comes to his wife and says, see, there's a box full of cash. Whatever you need, just take. Don't have to ask me permission. Would she come to him and say, Moshe, can you give me $40 from your pocket? She doesn't need. 
She has unlimited money, a big box so full of cash. She only comes to him when he gives her money once a year. She needs one more time, she comes. But she has unlimited. She get, if, the, if the mothers get respect from their children every day of their life, because this is the way the Torah teach, what do they need Mother Day for? Mother Day is a day for the secular people to relax their conscience. One day a year, I'm a good son or a daughter. At least one day a year, appreciation. So it says like this. People that started to enjoy the honor, if they really focus on what it brings them, eventually, not only they won't run after that, it will become a burden. It gets to a point that it's really annoying. It's, getting, it's really annoying. Even the Hollywood stars, when, just, when they just became famous, they were so happy when people stopped them on the street. Sign here, sign there, can I take pictures with you? They felt the greatest. Two, three years later, they have five bodyguards, and they break people's noses. Why? They're tired of this. When they needed this honor in the beginning, it was very sweet. Eventually, they say, what did I gain by this, besides headache? You understand? So it says, when a person sees how they praise him, and he knows that all their praises is all nonsense, none of it is true. When he sits home later, he's, he's upset. He almost cries, and not only I don't have all the skills that they give me, now they make up all this uh, false reputation to me, like I'm somebody important. So that's, uh, that's uh, the level that a person should reach. And the fourth category is respecting every human being. Uh, the Chazal in Pirkei Avot says, who is a respectable human being? kol adam. It's in chapter four. Uh, respects every human being, Jew, non-Jew, rich, poor, male, female, smart, foolish, kids, little kids. Respect every human being. If you see a person respect every human being, it's a sign that he's a respectable human being himself. If he disrespects other people, he doesn't have any respect himself. That's the rule. Who is a respectable person? Check how he respect others. In conversation, in questions and answers. You know, and this is it. makdim shalom adam. Every person you see, you run to say hello first. Don't wait until he acknowledges you and he comes first. And if he comes, you also say. If not, I won't say. That's ego. That's not the way of the Torah. You see him, you run to the... But Rabbi, I'm the president of Microsoft and he's uh, homeless. So what? So you can still say hello to him just because you have money, you're more important than him. So it doesn't really matter who you are. You see everyone, you want to say hello to them. Rav Yaakov Kaminetsky in Monsi every Sunday was standing by the church and say hello to the Goim. And I come out of the idol worshipping house in Monsi. I have a place. They don't have a minion, but they still have a place. <laughs> yes. But he used to come and say hello to them. Have a good week, this, whatever. Why? He's a respectable human being. He respects every other person. They testify on Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai, which was a great, one of the greatest people ever lived, student of Hillel Zaken. No person ever had a chance to say hello to him first. Never. There was a rule by him. As soon as he sees someone, he runs to him. Hello, how are you? 
לא הקדים לו אדם שלום מעולם, never, אפילו גוי בשוק, even a goy in the market, he ran to the goyim to say hello to them. So in actions, in speaking, always be respectful. 24,000 holy rabbis went down the drain, died for disrespecting each other. Everything else was perfect by them. But they did not respect enough. I promise you that if they live today, you would be amazed how much respect they gave each other. You'll be amazed. But in their level, and 2,000 years ago, even 1% drop in respect was already a big thing for, for people in this level. 24,000 dies in a pandemic. Five survive. If the five wouldn't survive, we wouldn't have Torah today. Five restarted everything. So, one more thing. It says like this. A humble person won't feel any needs for fancy things in his life here, in the material world. Because anyway, he's not bragging. He doesn't care what people think about his car, or his clothes, or what he has, or what kind of watch he has. He doesn't bring him any happiness. doesn't bring him any joy. So what's the point of investing my money in nonsense? So therefore, he doesn't kill himself. And everyone is comfortable with him, because people cannot stand arrogant, proud people. Even the most proud person cannot stand another proud person. Just check. Put two people with high ego, how they hate each other. Technically, you think we're great companion. You know, me and him, we both stuck up like this. We should feel great for each other. But they cannot stand each other. This is how it goes. And of course, a person like this will never fight. Why should I fight? Fight is because I want to gain something. I'm happy with what I have. I don't care. I don't have the urge to fight. OK, you're right. I'm sorry. Finished. Always look in traffic. Two people, two people from two lanes try to merge into one. It's always the same thing. One is trying to get first before the other one. How much is going to save in, uh, until he reaches destination? Two seconds, if we go first. But they come already, almost the mirror collides with the other. Half an inch already. And uh, each one of them has his hand to his gun already. Or to his baseball bat. Who's going to smash whose head? They're already on alert. I'm going to show this guy if he's going to go in front of me. There's much better way. You go to him like this. Por favor. S'il vous plaît. What happened to him, to this lion? He became a goat, either way. Oh, you go first. A minute ago, you were ready to shoot me. You went like this. Say, no, you go first. No, now they're fighting. Who's going to go first? You know, that's it. So you see that I really don't care about the two seconds. It's the pride. You're going to go before me? But when you already put your ego down, I won. He already surrendered to me. So I don't care about the two seconds. I'll give you another example. If a person comes to the rabbi in Beit Din, Rabbi, I just slaughtered this cow. Is it kosher or not? Rabbi, check, not kosher. How much he just lost? 10,000 bucks. Now he has to sell it to Ahmed for 1,000 bucks. Halal meat. <laughs> if the rabbi say kosher, 10,000 by the butcher shop. That's the difference, halal or kosher. He doesn't curse the rabbi. 
the opposite, he feel great that the rabbi saved him from feeding people non-kosher, no? If he's, an, he's, he's a kosher person. The next day he comes to the rabbi, he has an argument with his, one of his employees for $500. The employee thinks he cheated him on his commission, and they're arguing about some commission on a deal, and the rabbi said the employee writes, you have to pay him $500 extra. He comes out, lousy rabbi. If I could, I smack him. I, I, he throw things, gets angry, cares his wife. Moshe, relax. I'll show this, the, the old crooks. Two days ago, the rabbi made him a damage of $10,000, didn't bother him. He felt bad a little for the money. I didn't have anything personal against him. Now the rabbi made him lose $500. He's ready to kill him. Why? Because it's not the money, it's I lost. It's my ego, my bad personality. You understand? 10,000, nobody offended me. Look, I was not kosher, what can I do? Ah, you embarrassed me in front of my employee? Oh, this is how it goes. So, Baruch Hashem, we finished chapter 22 today. Let's start chapter 23. And we are very close to finish this series. Maybe one or two more lectures on Bezrat Hashem. Now we're speaking how to become humble. Now, up to now, we spoke what does it mean to be humble and not to be proud. Now, the question is how a person gets to this level. That's the hard thing, to get to that level. First, never to run after fancy clothing, ordinary clothing. I didn't say to dress like a homeless, no. To dress respectable, suit, average, a little bit above average, no problem. Gold, this, special, all kinds of things, enough. Don't look to be special. Respectable, nice tie, nice jacket, you look normal, clean, decent, doesn't have to be anything fancy. And 99.9% .9 of you cannot tell the difference between $200 suit to $10,000 suit. Only one out of 100 people in a, in a catering hall would know to tell the difference. Most people don't know. Change the label, you see that they will get confused. So it's really all nonsense. So what do, you, what do you need to break for? Instead of burning another $8,000 on a stupid suit, feed the poor people, give to the Torah, gain some millions of mitzvot. You know? So, dress simple, nothing out of the ordinary. Mechubadim, avalo mefuarim. Respectable, but nothing extra fancy. No. Then the nature of a person is to search for ego, for, for pride. It's very difficult to take it out of the root. You can depress it, suppress it, but to take it out of the root, it's very difficult. So a person slowly, slowly has to practice around how slowly, slowly suppress it until it's gone completely. One of the ways is to remember where you came from, a drop of seed. Drop of liquid, that's who you used to be, no? And smelly one, stink. And where are you gonna end it up? In a grave, with the worms, with the snakes, with the rats, under the ground, six, 10 feet under the ground. The worms will bite you, will eat you up. That's where you're ending, whether you're a king, whether you're the president, whether you're cleaning the streets. Everyone has the same end. You're going to a place when the worms and the rotten, you become rotten, and the worms will go all over you. Remember where you are, where you're gonna be, and who you're gonna be judged in front of. If a person always remember this in front of his head, 
most likely will never be proud. When a person thinks like that, that he will be food for the worms, it's very difficult to be proud. Once he forget that, ego rise. Once he remember where I came from and where I ended up, it's very difficult to go higher and higher in his pride. Also, he thinks that when he, when he entered the court of heaven, when he's going to stand in front of all the angels and in front of God, so impure and dirty from all his sins, would he dare to raise his face or would bury his face to the ground from embarrassment? And they ask him, where are you? Where is your mouth? Why don't you talk? Where is all the pride and the respect that you demanded in your life? Show it now. What would he answer? He would not know where to hide. Over there, he won't be able to <laughs> harm the president. He will know right away that you're nothing. Second thing is, things in life change. Today you're up, tomorrow you're down. What are you proud about something? Tomorrow Hashem will put you on the street. How many wealthy people lost their jobs? The one in charge of Tom Cheshavis told me, if you see what kind of people come to get food for Shabbat because they cannot afford with the very expensive suits and ties and nice cars. They lost their job. Six months, you don't work in America, you're bankrupt. That's it. You, you finish all your saving. So today you're here. Tomorrow, who knows what's going to be with you, right? So you never know. Now you're promoted. Tomorrow, a new boss comes. He kick you out. If, that's it. He cut your wings. You cannot move. Who is a wise person who agreed to learn from every person? Every person you can learn something from him. Even the biggest terrorist. The biggest terrorist, you can still learn from him. When, uh, the, when the Israeli Air Force, when the Israeli Air Force shot Ahmed Yassin, the founder of the Hamas, they killed him by the mask five o'clock in the morning, this terrorist murderer. What do you learn from that? that he finished Shachrit at 5 o'clock. And we, we say, Hashem, Nets, it's too early, Hashem. Nets, I expect me to, to dive in Nets, Hashem. You expect me to get up at 5 in the morning to go to shul? Wow, I'm losing two hours of sleep. So what would Hashem say to you? This murderer can go and pray at 5 o'clock and you, my son, cannot come? <laughs> it's a big problem. What can you learn from Hitler in Machshimo? When his soldiers were dying in a battle, he didn't want to get anesthesia when he got root canal. He told the dentist, operates on me without anesthesia. So they say to him, you know what pain it is to get root canal without, uh, without numb your, your place? He said, my soldiers are suffering and you want me to sit and enjoy it? Let me feel their pain. From this monster, there's something little positive you can learn from the most despicable person perhaps ever live in history. Even from him you can learn something. So just disrespecting people because who they are and not willing to listen to them, it's a very stupid thing to do. The Ashkenazi Sidur start with a, with a sentence from Bilam, the worst person in the entire Torah, that his wife is his donkey. You believe such thing? A guy that sleeps with his own donkey. Greedy, love money, hates the Jews, anti-Semite. What else do you expect from a person, a rotten person to be? Everything he had. 
And the Ashkenazi Sidur start from a quote. Bilam, Ma tovu alecha Yaakov, mishkanotecha Israel. They couldn't bring something from David Amelech, from Teilim, from, from the Zohar, from Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, from the Rambam, from the Igeret Aramban. Why did that start with Bilam? To teach us a message in life. The truth comes before who said what. First, the truth. If you say the truth, I hate him, I cannot stand him, he's an antisemite, he's a despicable, he's a crook, he's a liar, whatever he is. You say the truth, that's the truth. I was now in San Diego two weeks ago. I met a judge, an important judge, who was the head uh, prosecutor in San Diego, and then he became a big judge, very respectable judge. And in California, you have that sentence. You have to sign on that sentence sometimes. The Jew keeps Shabbos. I had a very good relationship with him. We became friendly. We went uh, Saturday night, Shruda uh, Revit. He took me to the president's hotel in some islands over there, where all this, the president comes to this hotel from 150 years ago. It's a very ancient hotel. So we started to, to talk about these things. And I asked him, sometimes you, come, you see a person in front of you. You see he's a sleazy person, arrogant, sleazy. You see, you see he's a low life. But the, the evidence against him is not strong about what they're blaming him. Does it make you more strict with him that you bias. see the way he behaves? Bias. Yeah, bias. Or you isolate your personal opinion on a person and you focus on the evidence. Because it's very difficult to do. Even your judge, your important judge, see a low life like this, you're willing to, to chop his head off. See, he beat up his wife, his this, drugs, okay. but now they're not blaming him for the drugs or for his violence or for his dirty mouth. They're blaming him for stealing, for something particular. So he said, no, you cannot, you cannot put it as a weight when you make a decision. But sometimes when you want to give him some mercy, when you come to rule his verdict, then you can take it to consideration. Because mercy, you don't owe him. Mercy is like a gift. You want me now to give you a discount, right? This is the price, $1,000. Now I like you. Here, take $100 off. I don't owe you that. I'm the owner of the store, the judge. You want to give him 18 years, you have a place in the rule to go and check what they exam him. You know, they give a report. So you want to give him a discount. So you see the way the person is, sometimes you go strict with him by the way he behaves, by the way he talks, disrespect. You see right away what the trial is. So you see that it's affecting, it's affecting your entire life how you behave. It's not a... So first, you can learn from every person. Then you should always eat and bless God for the food he gave you. Don't take it for granted that you earned it and you're a good businessman. Look at that as donation. Someone just sent you a donation. He didn't owe you the donation. He wanted to do something nice for you. Appreciate it. Don't take it for granted. Hashem gives us a lot of donations. We owe him a lot. If he wanted, he could feed us bread all our life and nothing else. If he wanted, he could make our food all gray without colors. If he wanted, all the food would be hard and very difficult to chew and have no taste. He could have done life, he could make life a lot harder than what it is. He didn't owe us. You, you need to eat. You need to eat. Eat the bread all your life. There's no other food, just bread, stale bread. That's all. All your life, same bread. 
Imagine life like this. You still won't die, but life will be very boring. So you made your food very entertaining. Colors, these, shapes, crunchy, soft, salty, sweet, these. Oh, variety. But people take it for granted. אין הארי נואם מתוך קופה של תבן, אלא מתוך קופה של בשר. חז"ל says, a lion that goes, to, when he has only straw to eat, he doesn't roar. He feels his misery. But when you put a pile of meat, he roars a lot. Go in a safari, see. Put lots of meat. Wow, the lions, they make a lot of noise. Put them some straw to eat. They're hungry, nothing to eat. They don't make a beep. <laughs> Why? You understand? So a person knows whatever I have is a gift, he won't make a lot of noise. Then a sign for arrogance usually is the level of the knowledge of this person in Torah. The more Torah the person knows, it's more chance that he will be more humble. No guarantee. אבל if a person learns Torah and doesn't learn Torah, you see an immediate impact on his pride and ego. Immediate. It takes away a lot of his ego and arrogance. וגמרא say, בבא מציאה, page 85, איסתרה בלגינה קישקישקריה. One penny in a box makes a lot of noise. It's full of hundred dollar bills, no noise. Full of quarters, no noise. One penny, lots of noise. The foolish people are the loudest in every gathering. They make a lot of noise, they speak a lot of nonsense, and they think, wow, I was the center of the event. You understand? What else? We, we're just about to finish chapter 23, and Bezrat Hashem, hopefully next week we'll finish the series. Uh, next week we have, uh, what is it, Shavuot next Monday? No, oh, still have one more Monday. So we'll finish Bezrat Hashem before. Yeah, before Shavuot we'll be, be able to finish. Huh? Yom Shini? Akarov? Lama lo maish? No, I'm going, I, no, I'm going to, no. Okay, it's good. So it says, Moshe Rabbeinu, that was the greatest person and the most humble person in history. The greatest person, number one humble person ever lived. The greatest, they had all the reasons in the world to brag. What was he? The most humble person. And one, one obstacle that makes a person not be humble is living among the fancy people. You know, kissing up to them, praising them, all the crooks, all the liars, all the thieves, gives them compliments they don't deserve imitating them, pretending he's one of them, and they give him compliments. How do you expect this person to be humble? This goes into his heart like poison of a snake and burns from inside. And he is, he's caught in the net of the, of the pride and collapse. And we, we have an example from Yoash. Yoash in Divrei Yamim. It says, Asher etiv la'asot kol yemei orahu yoyada kohen rabo. His rabbi was yoyada kohen. 
All his life he told him what to do. After Yoyada Kohen, his rabbi, passed away, all his servants started to come and praise him, Yoash, because his rabbi wasn't around to watch him anymore. So they started to give him compliments and praise him until they compared him to God. They started to call him, you are the God. And then he started to believe them. And that was his end. That was his end. Why? If you have bad friends, they'll bury you. But if you have a friend like the Gaon Mivilna hired the Magid Miduvna to teach him ethics, to, to copy, to see what he does, follow him, everything I do wrong, right away come and attack me. And I'm paying you for it. You're not doing it for free. Here is a salary. You be my policeman. So he said, no, you're my buddy. What? We learn Torah together. You need to pay me to tell you what to do? He said, yeah. I must pay you. If I don't pay you, sometimes you're embarrassed, you don't tell me. If I pay you, you must tell me, otherwise you're a thief, taking the money and not doing your job. I have to pay you. The number one rabbi in the world comes to the number two rabbi in the world and tells him, I want you to be my policeman. Here is $5,000 a month, full-time job. Watch me. Why? Every time you see maybe I don't learn hard enough, smack me on my head, wake me up. I say something I'm not supposed to, tell me. You know, one of the problems today is, is the wives are too weak. The wives, they don't do enough. They get married, and they let the husband dominate and control, and they never tell them what to do. So he, he doesn't get up in the morning, she ignores it. He's lying all the time when he sits with his friend, she doesn't say anything. Now, sometimes she even moves her head like this, you know, like to back him up. Uh, he doesn't want the embarrassment. He's not such a good father, she doesn't say anything. He's doing something bad, she doesn't call his rabbi. Rabbi, I want you to know this is what he does. And not only she doesn't stop him, sometimes she goes along with him. Let's go to the casino. She thinks, oh, once in a while it's not bad. Let's go watch a movie. Instead of being the fence and save the family, she goes along with his nonsense. And in the end, we have to ask who's going to be deeper in hell, him or her. It's not so clear who drag who, because maybe it's her responsibility. That's why Hashem called the wives the house. The husband is not called the house, the wife, Bet Yaakov, the, the house of the Jewish nation. Why? Everything is in her hand. I always tell the wives to call to cry to me about what the husband do. I say, when you want something nice, you get it out of your husband because it's good for you. But here, all of a sudden, you cannot do anything. If you really want it, you get it out of him. You cry, you make a scene, you fall on the floor, you grab your hair. When your husband sees it, important for you, believe me, he'll back up. But when it comes to your jewelry in a Mother's Day, you make a scene. Why? A bracelet? I didn't get this here. So you make a big scene. Or your credit card was only a $1,000 limit. Wow, what a big deal you make. But when your husband snores at 11 o'clock in the morning, you don't throw on yourself on the floor and scream. Why? Well, you don't care. You care for the nonsense. And then when, the, when things get out of control, right? Because one thing leads to another. He doesn't get up in the morning. He doesn't have time to learn Torah. He doesn't pray. Next thing, he becomes secular. It's like a goy now. So now, when he becomes a goy, he begins to abuse her and sometimes raises his hand on her and this and doesn't show up at night and who knows where he was until 3 o'clock. One thing leads to another. Next thing, he has girlfriend on his face. You know, one thing leads to another, then she wakes up. 
for the bracelet, you didn't let it go one hour. That's all you get. You got for me. But when it comes to this, she woke up a little bit too late. Now go and save him. So the idea is, right away, a wife should be like a policeman in a house. What are you doing here? What is this? It's already 8 o'clock. How come you're not in a shoe? No, you know, we slept very late. It was a wedding last night. Okay, next time we don't go to weddings. Don't get up in the morning for the shul, better not to go to the wedding. What are you talking about? It's my cousin, I don't care. Next time we get an invitation, I don't show you. You gotta be a policeman in the house. When she become a policeman, when he doesn't want to go to her parents for Pesach, she gives her life for it. But when it's something really important, ah, nothing, nobody cares. And then they wake up, and they think the rabbis are magicians. Oh, Kuspokus, Moshe, you Rambam from tomorrow. Yes, Rabbi. What is it? The people call me two hours before a Jew marry Goya. Do something, Rabbi. <laughs> I don't feel flattered that two hours before the wedding, they have hopes that I can change his mind. I say to them, you're crazy, and you're calling me now. You should have called me a year ago. When it just started, person in a printed invitation gave it to the whole world. You know, the, the, the ego, the shame, is so strong that he will destroy his eternity and not take the, the, the embarrassment of calling the wedding off. You know, you know how many people ended up getting married knowing it's not my shidduch. But we already announced the wedding. What am I going to do? We make an engagement party, this and that. What am I going to do? Back up. Now everyone will talk about me. So they destroy their life for the shame. Better to get the shame two, three weeks and to get Gehenom, hell in your house for 30, 40 years. That's what it is. So there are many problems, unfortunately. Unfortunately. But the wife's is the foundation of the house. If the husband looks like that, it's her fault. 99% of the time. Because when she really want to get something, she knows how to get it. And if she didn't get it, that means it wasn't important enough for her. And if she thinks she's very, she cares very much, think again. Because when, the, when it comes to nonsense, you cry, you depress, you don't want to do anything, your husband cannot talk to you for three days, sour face, why? He cut off your maid. The maid didn't come on Wednesday, only Monday and Friday. Oh, you're not giving me the maid on Wednesday? Like this. What happened, Shifra? Don't talk to me. <laughs> but when, it's, when she see didn't put fill in for a week, she doesn't make sour face. Shabbat, he comes half an hour after Shabbat started, doesn't make a sour face. She doesn't make a sour face. Yeah, she makes a comment. Why doesn't she fall on the floor and scream and cry? One time you see, oh, my wife is crazy. Look what she does. Embarrass me like this. He won't make the sins anymore. Many of them call, my husband gets drunk in every event we go. One time you get up in front of everyone and scream, shame on you, you embarrass your children in front of everyone, believe me, you will never touch it. But you don't do anything. Well, now he's addicted already. Besides, this culture of drinking is such a stupid culture. How can a Jew that respects himself and Hashem can get to a situation that is red and drunk and shaking like this and lose control, like a clown? Well, I can't believe such thing. 
Even a normal guy understand that this is a respectable guy would dare to look like this in public? How is it possible that a religious Jew looks like that? How is it possible that people fall into the pool, throwing each other with the, in Shabbat to the pool with clothing, this, that, and, and then they say, well, it was the alcohol. He really wasn't aware of what he's doing. How is it possible? How is it possible in Purim people need to go into an emergency room that they wash their stomach from alcohol poisoning? If not, they'll die. And some people died from alcohol, drinking too much alcohol, mixing, the people died. And then the damages that it caused to the liver and all kinds of other problems. You want to drink alcohol? A little bit. Chvot Shabbat, little whiskey, little arak, one or two, that's it. You feel that already you're getting a little bit close to the line when you begin to be too happy? Stop right there. Have discipline. You don't have discipline, you cannot touch. You can control yourself. It doesn't affect you, drink. Affects you, you're not touching it. You cannot touch. You go to places where the women are not modest and you look around like a hungry wolf, you're not allowed to go there. Can control your eyes, you go. You saw once or twice you fell, you're not allowed to go there. There's no permission. But my job, you better be poor. Poor and righteous is better than wealthy and wicked, no? What's the question? Ah, but I have children to feed. Don't worry. Hashem doesn't need you to feed your children. Let's feed them. Especially if you do what Hashem wants you to do. What do you think? By listening to Hashem, you lose money. So I want to remind each one of us the rule. Nobody in history ever lost anything for listening to his creator. And it will never happen, ever, not even one time. And if it looks that because you didn't want to take a job because it wasn't a modest place or it was, it was maybe a conflict against Shabbat or things like that, and it looks like now six months you're not working and you're borrowing money and you don't have money and it's very stressful, don't worry, it's not because of that. You pass your test, Hashem will return to you everything with extra. You're not in, the, in stress because you listen to Hashem. For different reasons, maybe yes. But by not taking the job because it's involved with lying, you cannot lose. Not taking the job because it's involved with Chilul Shabbat, don't worry, you won't lose. Hashem has to test you. He wants to see how you react. The Torah says you keep Shabbat, it will be blessing for the entire life. You started to keep Shabbat, your business is going down. You, you close one store and another store. Three, four stores, you closed already. Why? All the business was on Shabbat. So it looks like you're going to lose a million dollars by the end of the year, since you started to close on Shabbat. So what do you think? Where is the justice? I'm listening to you, Hashem. I sacrifice for you, and you take away all my stores? How do you know? After you get rid of all the stores, Hashem will get you into a job, you make a hundred times more than the stores. How many people had a job? Hashem shut the, the water, the faucet, nothing comes out. They were forced to go to a different industry and became multi-millionaire. You know the story that I once told about the Gabai from the shul. We'll finish with that. The Gabai from the shul is in charge of the money and he doesn't know how to read and write. One day they replaced the rabbi. The new rabbi said, where is the book of the money in the shul? Say, there's no book. It's all in the head of the Gabai. The rabbi said, ha, ha, people donate money. You have to have a book. If somebody wants to know what's going on, financials, this, balance. No, this guy is 20 years here. Everyone trusts him. Everything is getting done in this shul. It's an honest person. Why do we need a notebook? The rabbi said, no, I'm very sorry. Comes to him, he said, listen, from now on, I want you to have a notebook. 
Every dollar goes in, goes out, you write. Dates, everything. So the Gabbai said to him, Rabbi, last time I held a pen was when I was a baby, playing with the, with the toys. I don't, I don't know how to read and write. Rabbi said, we're very sorry. We're going to fire you and bring somebody that knows, and we pay you compensation for all the years you work here. So I gave him a big amount of money and fired him. Now what is, he, what is he going to do with the money? He didn't know what to do. So he went to his rabbi. His rabbi told him, between this town to the next town, on the way there's no motels. People used to get stuck because there was no electric. You had to go with a carriage on a, on a horse in Russia somewhere. Six o'clock in the evening, it's dark. You have to find a place to sleep. So people needed a place and place and with food. Open a motel on the way, and everyone will get stuck there, snow, snow, this, they come to you, you make a living. So he opened a small motel, started to make a living, started to make money, then he went to the bank, put all the money in the bank, slowly, slowly his, his account is growing. One day the manager of the bank calls him, he said to him, listen, it's a shame, your money is laying here in checking account, doesn't accumulate any interest. The bank has great investment, you can make 15, 20% on your money a year. Look, we have this, we have that. So he said, okay, sounds good. Okay, let, let me do this. He said, okay, sign here. He said, no, I don't sign. You put, put my name, that's it. He said, what do you mean? He said, I don't know how to sign. I, know, I don't know how to write. So the manager of the bank said, you made all this wealth and you don't know how to write? How can it be? Who are you telling stories? <laughs> say, you fool. If I knew how to read and write, I wouldn't be here with all this money. I'd still be a guy cleaning the bathroom in a shul. <laughs> Why do you think I made all these millions? Why? Because I don't know how to write. That's why I got fired and now I became a multi-millionaire. I'll still be in the shul, how much I made? That's the bottom line. When he got fired from the shul, what did he think? 20 years I gave my life for the shul. This rabbi, who does he think he is? Comes here, he fires me. like this. Hashem fired you because he want to make you a millionaire. What? Why do you worry? Ah, that's how it is. Ah. All I have to do is just to trust the creator of the world that he feed the bug, he feed the Indian in India who kiss the feet of Buddha every morning, he'll feed you the Jew who puts tefillin and keep Shabbat. Baruch Adonai Amen.